Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 343 for December 12, 2016. I just wow. uh, I just did. I, it, when you're podcasting, it's not a great time to, to drop a hot one, if you know what I'm saying, because you kind of have to just, you have to sit in it, and it, it's totally gross, and, and I shouldn't even be talking about it, but it's really bad right now. Hold on. You, you're just fishing for show titles now. And I'm just killing Are- time. We don't have that much to talk about. Mark, <laughs> drop the hot one. It's a, that was bad. Okay, so on today's show, we're talking about router bit buying strategy, lathe tool recommendations, jointer planes, and where to put the drill press. And we'd also like to thank some folks who helped us out with contributions over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk. Uh, a few also on PayPal. So Daniel McGarity Photography. Uh, that's not his last name. I think it's a business name. <laughs> Scott Basin. And here's some folks from Patreon. Jason Christensen, Connor McClure, Hunter Locke, Robert Crandall, Michael Ebner, Jim Meigs, uh, Scott Griffith, Aaron Tate, Chris Tidwell, uh, Patrick O'Malley, Donovan Dickerson, Paul G- Gottlieb, Kenneth Reisman and Ian Hepburn. Thank you very much, folks. We really appreciate the support. And if you help us out over there on Patreon, you get some cool little kickbacks there with the uh, various different levels, stickers and T-shirts and fun stuff like that. And you get your name read at the top of the show. And you get to go to sleep at night knowing that you helped the three of us keep this little adventure of ours going uh, on and into the future. It's the one way to get kickbacks. It's the one way to guarantee your kickback won't get kickback. That's true. That is very true. Doesn't happen many times in the shop, but it can happen here on the show. Uh, all right, so let's move into what is on the bench. For me, I, I was actually a little bit uh, slowed down this week uh, because I had one of the worst injuries I've had, like just accidental stupid thing happening type injury um, that I've had in a long time. And it's way worse than any injury I've ever had in the shop. And this one was acquired by moving furniture with my mother. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, that's a mistake. It was a big mistake. And, <laughs> you know, I wasn't expecting to have to wear steel toe boots for the activity. So I had my running shoes on and 
I'm moving a, uh, a leather recliner and I'm pulling. Didn't expect my mom was going to jump in and throw some like, you know, grandma He-Man strength into it and <laughs> push the thing toward me as I was pulling. And my toe was sitting like kind of partially pointed up in my sneaker. And it's just got that breathable mesh on the top. So the metal frame of the recliner slammed into my toe. And the crazy thing, I'm just like, it, it took me out for a couple seconds. And I'm like, oh, okay, I need to sit down. But it was really just a bad stubbed toe. And I reach my hand down and I feel, and I thought like, is this a knot in the fabric of my sock? Cause I felt this hard <laughs> thing on top of my toe. I thought like maybe it's fabric and I'm like, Oh, oh I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to look at this. And I pull my sock oh, off one of those. Oh. and for those who don't follow me on Facebook and didn't see the image that I posted because you know, I did, but I avoided it cause I, I didn't want to, it's not a good thing to see. It's, it's pretty gross. Right. That's why I didn't even post it immediately. I put it in the comment of the post just in case anyone doesn't want to see it, they don't have to. Um, and man, my, my toenail folded over on itself. So imagine oh, the front half cool. of your toenail flipping up and taking a fold back. And I'm just looking at it going, what do I do about this? <laughs> like that's new. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what, it did not hurt as much as I would. It, like when you look at a picture of that, it looks way more painful than it was. It really just hurt like a badly stubbed toe. And now it's just super sensitive and I got to wear a sandal and a sock on my uh, one foot, which is a great fashion statement. Seeing you swinging on the swings with a shoe and a sandal. I'm out there with Mateo. uh, We're at the park. Just, you know, like dads do. I I didn't, I didn't see your post about your toe until (laughs) after I saw that. You just thought that I'm like, you know, this is how Mark does things. It's like Denver's really getting to him. I was going to say, man, you really have gone native. Yeah. Well, I've got one foot in Denver at this point, the sandaled one. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was a, that was a real trip. So here's the thing lesson learned in case you guys ever, you know, confront a situation like this. I was really nervous about the toenail kind of sticking up. Right. So I'm like, well, I should probably trim what's hanging there. And this way, who knows what's going to happen to it, but I should at least get some of the excess off. So I did, but then I got to a point where the trimming was really hurting because there were still nerve endings in the underside of the nail. So, so I just left it there. Right. And I bandaged it up, cleaned it up and went to bed the next morning. My toenail had folded down by itself and it completely returned to its normal position. So I cut a little too much off that night. I should have just left it alone. If I had left it alone, it would have folded back and I would have had that little bit of extra protection. Now, granted, I probably would have lost, I'm still going to probably lose my toenail, but it's a slower process as it heals and I've got toenail there to protect the the real tender bits underneath. So word of warning, you ever rip that off or do something with your, your nail and there's still nail there, just leave it because it's probably going to fold back down. So that was fun. Uh, aside from that <laughs> disgustingness, uh, I did start to delve into the arcade plan. And this is, I mentioned this before, it's an Instructables plan, and I I spent most of the day on this. And the problem is, number one, it's in metric. So I feel your pain, Euro people, um, all you you (laughs) folks who complain when we produce Imperial plans. I feel your pain there. But inaccuracies is a major problem. There are places where things should be in centimeters, and they're listed as millimeters, but there's no way that that part can be that small. It has to be centimeters. And I'm trying to make sense of someone else's plans, and I'm like, you know what, I... I I guess just trying to produce the best set of plans for people possible, you know, and you guys do this when you produce, you know, some kind of plan that you're distributing, you really set the bar pretty high, you know, for yourself in terms of quality and fact checking and, and, uh, you know, typos and things like that. That, Like, it's a great plan, but it's crap. 
I mean, it's it's like I'm, I'm glad the guy it's did great. it. Great, what is crap? I'm just I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to be nice. I'm trying to be nice here, uh, uh, but the plan is just garbage because it's like and it's years old and no one went back to fix it. So you just kind of have to figure it out. So meanwhile, here I am like, oh, this was going to be such a super easy project. But the reality is I'm redrawing the entire thing in SketchUp, trying to make sure the numbers and the angles all work out. And I just like, this, this is no longer an easy project. Uh, so here we go. <laughs> so now I got to redesign this thing from the ground up, just using, you know, m- some of what I'm getting from that plan as the, the basis for it. But just a reminder of how, how so many things that are out there in terms of plans that you can get online could very well be absolute garbage and you just don't know till you dive in. So kind of a bummer, but yeah, not all instructables are created equal as they say. Um, but again, great, the great project, the guy did a really good job. And if I was building one for myself, I can kind of go in and just relatively build the parts out and it doesn't matter if it's slightly off, but if I'm doing it on the show, I want it to, to meet a certain standard and I want people to be able to ask questions and get answers. And for that, I need to actually have these numbers make sense. So kind of a pain in the butt, but moving forward. So hopefully this week, maybe tomorrow I'll actually cut some wood in the garage, which will be kind of cool. That'd be weird. How long has it been? A few weeks. Well, I mean, I guess well, less than that. it's been for you, Matt. That's, what I was, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what's, what's the latest. Are we in Matt a closer? Matt the metal worker. Oh, I am almost done. I think. Yay. Ah. I believe so I, I got a few. It. I got a few emails and comments this last week saying that you guys should. Uh, we should talk about the sawmill more because it's interesting. Is it though? Mm-hmm. Is it? Though? I don't know. That's what people say. <laughs> the, a few people told me it is interesting. No one said keep doing nothing and not talking about <laughs> it. But I had people <laughs> tell me to start talking about it. So, which direction do we go with well, this? It's been a know? couple of weeks since your last update. So maybe you know, give us the update, <laughs> yeah. and we'll, well, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it again. Let's in three assume. Weeks. Let's assume that people are not going and watching your videos where you talk about the bandsaw mill because you, know, you feel like you talk about it a lot right. on your own channel. But you know, not everybody listens to Wood Talk watches the Matt Cremona show on YouTube. It's, it's Say true. It I've had, so. I had a couple of people this last week leave me comments saying, hey, I've listened to you on Wood Talk for like the last year. I finally came over to check out what you're doing over here. Yeah. So that happens yeah. a lot to me. <laughs> it, took a, it took a while to convince them. <laughs> Hearing me every week isn't enough or it is plenty enough, I guess. <laughs> Why do more? That's enough. We don't need any more of this guy. <laughs> oh, so I am really, really stinking close now. I have... I just finished up the tensioning mechanism today and I have a little bit of welding to do on the guards and on the one, one more log clamp and then I'm done or I'm done to the point where I can actually put a blade on there, get the wheels aligned and try and make a cut with it, which will be, mm-hmm. I just hope it cuts. You know what? At this point, just go through the log, make something cut. That's all I care about. Nice. But, more importantly, go through the log and be faster than your Alaskan mill. Oh, I, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine after all of this, it was actually easier to just stay with the chain chainsaw mill that you had? That would suck. I don't know how that would be possible, but you know what? Crazier things have happened so far in this ridiculous project. Nice. So, I mean, from here on out, you're going to use this thing and you're going to get feedback like, well, it'd be great if I could, if, if I had one of those, I could do that too. <laughs> you know? Dude, yeah. Totally can. And you'll be like, you know what? You're videos. right. You could. Here's the plans. <laughs> And uh, here's the videos. That's true. Enjoy. It ain't like you just, you know, went out and bought this thing. You built the damn thing yourself. So, you know, there's major cred for something like that. Yeah, it's a heck of an experience. I didn't 
know anything about any of the stuff going into it. Yeah. And it's been an incredible learning experience. And it, more than anything, a good test of patience. Yeah. Which everyone tells me I have a lot of patience. So maybe that's the limiting factor for most people with this thing is, do you have enough patience to build this? Yep. Well, very good, man. Like, I guess the question is, you know, once once this project is behind you, are you anxious to get back into the shop and work wood? Or are you just like anxious to start sawing up logs? Like, are you just going to play with the new toy for the next six months sawing up logs and then maybe you'll build something later? No, I got to get in the shop and uh, get some work done in there. Um, He's got a guild video to start editing. That's that's where I'm at right now. Is I start editing his guild video <laughs> and finish. I have to finish the benches for that project as well. Still, mm-hmm. so I have oh, a few right. things yeah. left to do there. But at least with the benches, it's pretty quick since it's not. We already we already talked about all of the like construction details of building those things and we build a table. So it's going to be a faster video, I guess. Mm. Luckily for me, so. That one's going to be kind of nice because I can just kind of get out there in the shop, build them, kind of knock them out, and just kind of take the viewer along for the ride. Since the construction techniques are exactly the same as the yeah. table. It's like basically building mini tables. It's a smaller scale. But, yeah. Cool. Sounds good. Well, I what I want to know is the last step of your bandsaw mill is that to install a permanent camera. Since <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you're a content creator. You can't go to all this building this bandsaw mill without cool camera angles. Come on. Well, I'll probably like, put some mounts somewhere. I was on say, you might not want to keep the camera out there <laughs> forever. <laughs> so the, the problem I'm having right now is I'm struggling with the fact that it's crazy cold here mm-hmm. and how much time do I want to spend outside actually using this thing? And yeah. at the same time, I want to get these logs out of my driveway. I want to get them cut up. I want to use them. No, I also want to be inside. So I think I might pace myself with the sawing just to like, you know, not freeze to death <laughs> and uh, go from there. But we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Wait until after the solstice when at least you can say, well, the day's a little bit longer now. It's a little bit warmer today. <laughs> not really. Yeah, That's, not at it, all. But it doesn't bottom out until like I don't know, late January right here. Yeesh. Sounds fun. All right, Shannon, yeah. what do you got going on? Um, I, I think I mentioned last week that I was going to get started on um, making moldings for my blanket chest. And mm-hmm. I just reminded again of, how I think it's probably my favorite thing of hand tool woodworking, just woodworking in general, really kind of making the the moldings, whether you do it with, you know, hand tool power, whatever, just that kind of decorative element that you add to the project. When you get to that point where kind of all of the construction is really done and you're just making it pretty, you know? Um, And of course, hand sticking moldings has always been fun for me because it's, it's kind of like, um, I'm like Bob Ross in there, you know, making pretty little coves and pretty little beads, <laughs> happy, happy little beads happy and happy cheese. little coves, you know, cause it's, it's a very, um, almost freehand type process and you really can kind of create the profile exactly how you want it. You know, you can lean the plane over and make a little bit more relaxed profile. You can make that cove a little bit steeper. You can play with the location of the fillets and really, you know, just with a couple of plane passes, change the whole look of that profile and really kind of make it your own. And uh, I just have so much fun with it. And it's a very, um, I don't know, romantic <laughs> kind of part of woodworking where there's nothing, you know, there, there's there's really not a lot of stress involved. It's just kind of walking down the bench and making passes with the rabbit planes. And it's all very light work. There's no heavy duty scrub plane work or pulling off huge shavings. It's all whisper thin fine shavings and it's just i don't know it's just a lot of fun i'm getting waxing poetic here but 
Um, they're just the whole thing is very meditative for me. So I was digging it. I spent my weekend making molding. <laughs> had, a, had a lot of fun with it. I was digging it. <laughs> yeah, you know, but. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, what's funny about this is I don't know if it's the power tool side of things that influences me or simply like a furniture style difference, but that is something I do not look forward to. Um, and part of it, I don't like moldings in general, like anything, if you just think more of a modern aesthetic, there's usually not much in the way of complex moldings, roundovers, chamfers, and yeah, I mean, really, really simple stuff, right? So the aesthetic isn't there. So my personal taste doesn't lean toward that, but also there isn't a whole lot of pleasure to be gained by using a router bit and just, you know, running through a piece of trance. There's nothing poetic or, you know, fun or relaxing about it. It's just a power tool operation. So I think if you combine those two aspects together is the reason why I really don't care for that at all, which is kind of funny. It's like the opposite. <laughs> well, I, and I can definitely see that because I can remember I never liked using the router. Um, mm-hmm. And if I did, I definitely didn't like, I much preferred it in a table. Uh, I felt like I had a lot more control sure, that way. Yeah. Um, but there's something about having total control over the profile you create rather than whatever that carbide router bit you know, is or high speed steel router, right. whatever is creating for you. And the fact that you can make that profile your own and change it and relax it and make it more upright, you know, add a bead on it, you know, put a bead on it. It's the, it's right. the I don't know. There's just something very, very cool about it. And, you know, I think there's a lot of folks that really get kind of go overboard on the, the hollows and rounds thing. I've got to have this full set, you know, it's like, well, unless you're actually like exactly reproducing historical forms, like a pair of hollows and rounds, like a number six or maybe a number eight is really all you need. And you can make, well, I had one of those um, like cheapo kits of router bits. You remember like the, get it on eBay for nineteen ninety nine and 54 profiles and they're like the lowest quality router bits ever. But yeah. you could recreate every profile in that kit with a pair of number six hollows and rounds. Um, and then some, you know, mm-hmm. and that I think is the element of it. And part of it is, is, like I'll lay something out and then I'll be midway through it and go, you know, wouldn't it be cooler if this angle was a little bit different here and you just change the angle of the plane a little bit and you get a different look, a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. That to me is, it's like sculpting, you know, more than machining or whatever. And to me, that's what just is really, really fun about it. Yeah. Now see so. you, you, when you frame it that way, I get it because I get the same thing <laughs> yeah, when, it's true. when I'm doing shaping, you know, a certain right. type of uh, power carving or even, you know, using hand tools to do it and rasps and things like that. So I, I get it from that vantage yeah. point. But you bring up a really good point about the style. I mean, you, yeah. your style is not, you know, OGs and right. classical profiles <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, maybe a bead here and there. Except for when but, people call me the OG. You know what I'm saying? Oh, boy. Come on. Oh, boy. Matt gets it. He's young. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't do that. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Okay. <laughs> Well, very good. Long story short, I was sticking moldings. Sticking it. it. Sticking it to the man. All right. Let's get into what's new. Shannon, you got one here? Sure. Um, This is something that uh, just popped up on my main page of YouTube, so I'm sure it's probably been seen by a couple million people. But Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of – it's a video on making a wooden ring. Um, This guy specifically inlays some brass into it. I've seen quite a few videos of making rings. In fact, Matt Vanderlist was probably the first one that I saw when he did it. But there's something about um, this – I, and I don't know this guy's channel. Happy Adam is the the channel name. I've never seen any of his stuff before. So I don't know if he's like a woodworker or generic maker or just somebody that found a cool process. But what's really interesting about it is it is it, exactly what I did not expect. 
like when I looked at it thinking, oh, well, this is how he, you know, you formulate in your mind kind of how he did it. Mm -hmm. And he totally did the opposite way. And it's so much simpler than my typical overbuild it, overengineer, overthink it woodworker mind came up with. So um, I really should check into this to find out what what his background is. Is is he actually a woodworker or not? Um, Because he just makes this whole process using veneer and like soaking the veneer and then pre-rolling it and then wrapping it around a socket wrench, dousing it in CA glue and bam. He's got a bent laminated veneered ring. And even his hmm. inlay process is just using an X-Acto knife. And he uses really uh, thin brass so that it kind of bends and forms into uh, the ring shape. Mm-hmm. And the finished product is really cool looking. Um, very professional, very, you know, what's the what's the the backhanded insult? It looks like you could have gotten it at a store. It looks better <laughs> than store-bought. <laughs> it's just it's just one of those things where I was pleasantly surprised at just how simple the process was. Mm-hmm. There really were no quote woodworking tools. It was something you could literally go buy a socket wrench, not even a socket wrench, the socket. You don't even <laughs> need the wrench. Just buy a socket, you know, and and an exacto knife and some veneer. And right. you can make all these rings. And they look really, really cool. So kudos to to Happy Adam for um making me realize I way overcomplicate stuff. <laughs> That is the way of the woodworker. That's just the way yeah, it is. Most definitely. All right. Let's get into our kickback. Got a few things here. In fact, we've got two voicemail kickbacks that we will start with. First one is from uh, Brad. Hi, guys. This is Brandon from Ontario, Canada. Just uh, want to do a kickback and uh, just to let me humor the whole cutting board. You guys have uh, had a few calls for cutting board issues. And I've been making cutting boards for a long time and great cutting boards. And there's a lot of people that are worried about finish and bacteria and whatnot. I got to say, the only finish you'll ever need is just regular mineral oil. And any mineral oil oil that you'll probably buy or retail from a drugstore is going to be food grade. Uh, that stuff uses the lactis, it's used all kinds of different uh, bodily features. But it's, in general, the safest thing you can put on. There are all these varnishes and finishes that just way overkill. You had a caller that originally said that they were expecting water to feed on an angry cutting board. And if you've got water feeding on an angry cutting board, Mark was right, you've got plastic. Uh, because it's an ingrain, it's going to shed water really, really quickly. There's been studies done. Uh, even if you get blood or anything down there for meat, bacteria just doesn't survive in the ingrain. Uh, butcher blocks have been made for decades back 50 60 70 years ago they were doing it they didn't even use finish at that point uh, i wouldn't say you have any kind of problem just leaving it uh with mineral oil i do it just because it makes a nice sheen on there if anything that i put a one part oil one or uh, three parts uh beeswax melt it in a pot and i pour it in little cups and i can hand it out and you literally just rub that on the surface uh that's that's all it's ever needed um I can, I hands down, that's the best thing you can do. Uh, if you watch MGM Woods, the guy out in Russia, he does a fantastic job with all his cutting boards, and that's all he does, but I'm not based on what he does, but I've done in the research that I've gone through. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Take care. There you go. Good perspectives on uh, cutting board and food safety. Thanks for that, Brad. You know, 
One of the things that I've always liked about the mineral oil finish mm-hmm. is it puts the upkeep into the hands, firmly into the hands of the recipient <laughs> yeah. of it. So like if anything goes wrong, it's like, well, hey, all you got to do is wipe down with mineral oil. And, and he's right. It looks great after it's been wiped down with mineral oil. Mm-hmm. So there's all manner of sins that, <laughs> that you could just say, well, hey, you know, I told you when I sold it to you or gave it to you that you just have to upkeep it, you know, with uh, with mineral oil. Right. And <laughs> looks great after mineral oil. So there you go. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. Cool. All right, let's get into the next one here from Rick. Hey, guys, love the show. This is Rick from Atlanta. Listen to at least 300 hours, which is about 12 and a half days of my life, which is awesome that you've been able to keep my attention. Hey, for the guy that called in for the basement shop and was looking for a heat source, I'm in Atlanta, a little bit warmer, but it still gets cold in the winter. And what I do is I just have those halogen lights. Um, in the summertime, I can't use them, but in the wintertime, I have one of those 250 watt lights, spotlights, the work lights. Um, you can definitely buy two or three. Not only do you get the heat from it, but you also get more light, which is awesome. So hope that helps. That is more than enough to, to heat up my shop. Um, so I'm sure it will help too. Thanks guys. Jeez, lights, huh? So I'd be curious what his lighting situation is that he's you know, can tolerate the extra light in the space, but half of the year doesn't have that light in the space. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those halogens can be, man, they can get seriously hot. Um, yeah, don't touch them. Yeah. Don't put your tongue on it. That'd be bad. <laughs> uh, and that's actually it for the kickback voicemail. So you guys want to take these last two kickbacks? Sure. Why not? Why not? Indeed. This one comes from Kevin. He says, uh, also an unconditioned basement woodworker, so I should probably contribute a possible solution. I've insulated my basement, but there's no heat source down there yet. I do exactly what Shannon said and use a space heater to get it up to the 60-degree range. To overcome fume issues, I have a large squirrel cage-type fan that the previous homeowner had mounted in a window. This does cool it down, but it helps keep the fumes from being pulled out into the house. Basically, it has enough pull to overcome the stack effect that pulls the air up into your house under normal conditions. For more belt and suspenders approach, make sure all exhaust fans in the living space are off when you apply a finish. Those would be bath fans, kitchen hood fans, and your dryer. Those will act to pull air up from the basement. Hope this helps. Hmm. It's a very good point. The dryer gets me every time because the laundry <laughs> room is right next to my shop. Oh, man. And and inevitably, not only does it spread it into the house, but into the clothes that ring the dryer. <laughs> oh, that's got to make the family happy. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Not good. Next one is from Andrew. It says, love the off-topic weekend shows. It's great hearing about woodworking, but sometimes it's nice to learn about something new from an unfamiliar voice or from a familiar voice. <laughs> uh, whatever. All, All your... <laughs> at least it's shorter this week yeah. all your talk about business really reminds me why i love my eight to five owning my own business is not what i want to do i just like doing i just like to work dealing with all it i i i like to just work dealing with all the other stuff that does not sound fun so i guess your off-topic show isn't terribly off-topic well there you go that's one of those things right, do you uh do you live to work or do you work to live you know, and I think there's, there is merit to going to work and coming home and shutting that crap off, you know, and being yeah. able to just do your own thing on the, the nights and weekends. And there's something to be said about being able to punch out. Um, yes. My problem is, is I haven't had a job that I've been able to punch out from in years. <laughs> yeah. Decades. That'll be, that'll you know, be a problem. 
Yeah, the the internet and email and like Blackberries going back a bit. Well, Blackberry's still out there, but that type of thing basically eliminated nine to five. You know, there's I bet no that's happened for a lot of people though. You know, just in general, oh, yeah. it's it's it, yeah. too easy to be you know for your boss to keep in touch with you and to do. Well, mm-hmm. let me hop online real quick, do this, answer a couple emails. It's definitely got to be a problem for everybody at this point. Uh, All yeah. right. Got a little voicemail. This one actually is a question, not a kickback. So this is from uh, Jared. Question about drill presses. Hi, guys. This is Jared from Pennsylvania. I know you just said that. I just bought a drill press and I had a question for you guys. I thought maybe since Mark's moving to shop, he might be familiar with the situation. Um, so the drill press I bought is way too big for the shop I have. Um, so my plan is to put it in the corner since that seems like it would take the least amount of space. Um, so I wanted to know how often do you guys find yourself in a situation where um, you have a piece of work that is sticking far off to the left or the right of the drill press table to where that would cause an issue being in a corner. Um, I don't think it's going to fit any other way, but I'm hoping you guys say never. Um, that's my question, and I just wanted to let you know that I've been practicing really hard on an impression, and I think you're going to be really impressed with it. So here it goes. It's an impression of a leaky air hose in that shop. Ready? Sell out. Okay. I had to listen to that a couple times to get what he was doing. And I think some of this comes down to like Skype. The the recording sometimes may not pick up certain sounds. Like it's got really aggressive um, noise cancellation. So I sibilance. Yeah. Uh, so I think what he did was sell out. <laughs> I just wish we could have heard it a little bit better because that's, that's wow. pretty genius. So you better go wow. fix that leaky air hose, man. Uh, it's calling you out. Yeah. <laughs> it is called Especially if it's man. a Triton. Make sure it's Yeah, a Triton air hose. <laughs> so it's <is> not. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Uh Maybe well thanks for that. If it were a Triton air hose, it wouldn't be leaking. It would definitely not leak. <laughs> That's right. Sure. <laughs> of course not. They never do. Uh so thank you for that, Jared. And in answer to your question, at least in my shop, I do often confront situations where if the drill press were in a corner, it would be problematic for me. And I think the drill press I think more than any other tool, maybe like a 14 inch bandsaw, but the drill press is right up there in the top, you know, two or three tools that seem like they really want to be in a corner, you know, like it's just, it's, it's so convenient to put it there, but you will run into a problem at some point. So my suggestion would be to get that thing on a, a mobile base. I mean, I know they're really tall and a little top heavy, so that could be a little bit scary, but I know there are bases out there that can kind of help compensate for that and make it a little bit safer. But if you could pull it in and out of that corner, you could buy yourself some extra space, keep it pushed in when you don't need it, pull it out when you do. Um, so do you guys often have issues with, I mean, would you think he's going to confront this pretty quickly? Uh, work pieces that are too long for that thing to be depends, in the corner. Depends what he makes. Like for me, to be honest, I don't really do a whole lot of long work pieces where I have stuff hanging way off the drill press. Mm-hmm. So it's really pretty rare that I ever have to worry about that. But yeah, if you put it on a mobile base, you can just kind of, you can even just rotate it one way or the other, depending which way the work is sticking out of the the drill press. So there's some clearance there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I I, I, I think it comes down to the, the instances of needing it are so low that even if it's not on a mobile base and you just need to kind of like shimmy it, tip, walk it into position. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it, it, to to take care of that 2%, maybe 5% of the time mm-hmm. situation. The rest of the time, you're right. It's kind of 
meant to be in the corner, you know? Yeah. So just stick it there. And then when that time comes up, just move it, you know? Well, and so now if... Sorry, I know you're done talking. That's right. I didn't drink, did I? <laughs> drink. <laughs> drink. Crap. <laughs> uh, real quick, though, think about it this way, too, is you're drilling in a single point. So you can, if you have a workpiece that's to be sticking off, you can always put it like perpendicular and like into the corner. If you need it, you can have a stick off the backside. Yeah. So you have a little more space that way too, maybe. That's true. Sure. Very true. A lot of options. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a fancy solution there, Matt. True. You like that? Like yeah. yeah. Think outside the box. Why is Shellis in the wood talk every week? Yep. That's what happens when you make a band song for six months. You, you, you start to get clever thinking about <laughs> well, other you things. See, I've been using a drill press a lot more in the last, I don't know, <laughs> what, four months than I ever have in my entire life. There you go. And at no point in my woodworking career have I ever wanted a larger drill press or a more capable drill press until I started this project. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll probably, after this is done, never confront that situation again. Right. I don't know. I probably will with my luck, but yeah. not, not anywhere near the scale, but I right. probably will. So <laughs> I'm actually considering a new drill press for like, for real. Nice. Just try it and make one. Nope going to have to go outside the family i know i know my pants <laughs> painted orange or something you better uh submit that that <laughs> permission go. request get it in there uh, <laughs> all right let's move into our email here i uh, got one from greg he's got a question about router bits he said when i first got into woodworking a few years ago i immediately heard the advice to use only premium table saw blades i followed this advice and never regretted it however I've been using less expensive router bits and have been getting what I thought were decent results. Recently, I decided to splurge on a white side round over bit. And the first time I used the thing, it was like the heavens opened up. Uh, easier cutting, much less chip out and overall vastly superior cut quality. I guess this isn't a big surprise. And now I want to replace all my bargain bits. But I'm curious if you guys find any use for discount quality router bits. Maybe specialty bits you might only use once for a specific project or... Do you go with premium bits exclusively? Shannon, not sure if there's any hand-tool parallel here. Feel free to chime in uh, in about the discount router plane blades. <laughs> Such a thing exists. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Um, all right. So oh. with, with router bits, I actually am a big proponent of buying those big multi-sets so you just have them. You know, it's like having, I don't know, a, a socket wrench kit or something, you know, with like every possible size you could ever need. And then having a couple of the sizes you need all the time that are made at a higher quality. So I kind of do the same thing with router bits. Um, your roundovers, your chamfers, your straight bits, your flush trim bits, these are all the places that you're, you're going to use those, those, like not every project, but nearly every project. So why not spend a little bit more money on those? But your, gosh, I don't know, like an odd size core box bit or a weird OG profile for weird people who use those. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, like all those weird little profiles that maybe someday you'll need, but you're not sure. Those are the ones that I don't mind having a lower quality bit. And if my, you know, preferences ever change and I start to use it enough to dull it or need better results out of it, then I go and buy that premium bit. Uh, but there is no way I'm going to go out and buy every bit that I have as a premium bit. It's only for the like absolute most important things. And I keep the bargain bits, um, you know, for the, just that general, you just, it's like having a, a big, you know, a chest of tools to tackle any particular problem. If I need to solve a problem, I go and open this big thing and I'm like, all right, I know one of these is going to do the trick for me here and I've got it there and it's a fairly cheap bit. So it's at least the way I look at it. Couldn't agree more. Yay. Yeah, I can, I can remember 
like opening up that little case uh, that had all the discount router bits in it. And there'd be like two in there that, you know, had a little bit of pitch build up on it and everything else was like sparkly new. Yep. Like they never got used, <laughs> yeah. but it'd be like, you know, maybe once. Okay. I'm going to use that particular. Cause usually they have like six different sizes of OG bits, yep, you know, exactly. it's quarter inch and three eighths and half inch. And it's like, how often do you use those? Use it once, you know, and I'm certainly not going to pay. You know, I don't know the price difference when you break down, you know, divide that that twenty five dollar kit by 30 bits compared to the white side. You know, you could buy not very many white side bits. one bit for so 30 bucks. Price. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get very far with that. For cool. me, I'll throw in one little thing, too, is I, I wait the consideration of how difficult it is to clean up that profile if it needs it. So mm-hmm. if I am doing like a going back to like the molding discussion, if I'm doing some piece of molding, um, and the profile will be hard to like clean up with sandpaper or whatever because of those discount bits like to burn mm-hmm. and maybe they'll chip out a little bit. So depending on how much of a pain in the butt it is to clean up that profile, that might weight me towards buying a more expensive bit just because I know it's going to be flawless off the, uh, off the bit. Yeah. It's going to be more efficient for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't think there is a hand tool, um, amalgam. No. I can't really think of it. Well, it isn't you like know. you've got so many manufacturers making right. these and blades. I mean, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Like if yeah. they're going to make them, they're going to make them pretty good quality. Yeah. Very true. Cool. You're up, Matt. Wake you up. good? Yeah. Wake up. I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that drink. Stop taking your nap. I have nothing to drink. My cup is empty. You got, you got to pace yourself, Mark. Come on. Here, I'll pretend. <laughs> here you go. Here you go. Pavlov. <laughs> have a drink. Yeah. Someone's drinking. That's good enough. <laughs> oh, why is it we all laugh every single time? I got to read something I didn't write. You just laugh uh, a lot. That's the problem. Like a little it's not girl. A problem. It's part of the brand. Oh, I see. I see. Go. Okay. <laughs> Use brand. Yep. It's all about branding. The brand. Wow. I, I underestimated that. Uh, well done. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. This one is from Andrew. He says, "I recently, I recently got acquired a lathe for free." Fall cleanup is awesome that way sometimes. I got a couple of carbide tip chisels for Christmas, but I'm already finding that they are rather limiting and I want to get high-speed steel tools. What is Mark doing? <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just entertaining myself. <laughs> yeah. I was reading and like, like corner in my eye. I see Mark waving through the air. Yeah, just, <laughs> like, I'm throwing something and catching doing it. doing something different. Yeah. <laughs> He's very bored by what you're saying. <laughs> and I'm entertaining myself. People, people listening have no idea what we're talking about. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's not talk about it. See, we didn't have this problem before we were broadcasting this live. <laughs> That's right. It's all good. Go ahead. Don't mind me. Uh, I'll put my hand over your picture. All right. Oh, yeah. um, I don't know where I was now. Um, he wants to get some high-speed steel tools. And I'm really enjoying the work. In particular, I'm finding the carbide is getting blunt and the replacement tips aren't cheap. I want to get a power sharper anyway. I'm thinking of the Workshop Sharp 3000. Do you have any advice for what chisels I should be looking at next? I enjoy making bowls, but I'd like to make some pens. Uh, first off, I'll say that you can sharpen those carbide inserts on a diamond plate. Um pretty easy to do you can do the same thing with the carbide um marking gauge things too you just put the face down onto the stone and it's kind of rub it around that'll get you some sharpness there i did that on my um um easy wood tools the one i have i've done that on that one tip a lot hmm. but i haven't used it very much so it doesn't really matter um for me i don't have any fancy i'll air quote fancy um high-speed steel tools i have the budget ones or whatever you want to call them everyone they're all like rebranded everyone has this they're exactly the same thing they're the 
the, the steel tool with the same turn handle, the ash handle with the little grooves in it, like the little rings in it. And I've been using those exclusively um, for all my turning because I don't really care for the carbide stuff, really. So I don't know what I'm missing if the fantastically expensive, like $150 bowl gouges are better than this $30 one that I have that I've actually sharpened so many times it's getting really short. Um, but once you have a good sharpening system, and it sounds like I've never done any sharpening on the Workshop 3000 or especially, or I don't, have you guys seen lathe tools being done on that? I was going to say, can you sharpen lathe tools on a Workshop? I don't know. I not. had one like good eight question. years ago, like, and I know they've made a lot of changes to it, but you definitely would not sharpen lathe tools on that thing. Well, Maybe I they have an attachment now. Either way, if you have a good sharpening system, and the other thing too with the high-speed steel tools, it kind of goes back to this router bit thing. It's like, how many tools do you need or which tools are you going to use the most? And then if you really want to splurge and get like a nice bowl gouge, for instance, then you can do that. For me, when I'm doing bowl turning, I literally use two tools. I use a bowl gouge and I use a skew to make the tenon on the bottom of the bowl or the recess or whatever for the chuck to grab. The entirety of the rest of the turning is all with the bowl gouge. So I don't really need to like have a spindle gouge or whatever else comes in that kit, parting tool, etc. But if you have them in that one kit, it's nice to have. You can kind of decide which ones are the best for you or what you want to do with your turning. I don't know. And just FYI, I did find at least a video referencing uh, a couple videos referencing Worksharp with a gouge jig. So it's like a tool oh, toolbar attachment that they use that you can use <clears> with the Worksharp. I'm looking at the uh, looking at one of them right now. We yeah. were thinking the same thing. So it looks the, like they they it is possible, right? I knew they had to have something there. I think Matt's actually on to something. It comes down to your sharpening system. You know, I think and I could be wrong, but I think with any the more kind of niche you get in woodworking, you'll find like the really really good dedicated turners. They find better use for the higher quality tools, and it may be the steel, you know, the cryogenically treated edges, or sometimes it's just that there's a profile already ground onto it or something like that. Um, you need a longer one for better leverage, but I think when you're you're more a beginning turner or a casual turner, as long as you can sharpen it well, you may have to sharpen a cheaper tool more often, but, you know, if your sharpening system is solid, that's fine. Just sharpen it more often. <laughs> well, let's be honest, sharpening like a lathe tool is nothing like sharpening a chisel because like you go like right off the grinder yeah, right back to the yeah. work. You wouldn't yep. do that with the chisel. <laughs> no, you could. I, guess, I mean, most <laughs> people wouldn't, I guess. <laughs> but you might not be so happy with it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like the same thing, just our, our, our last question. The difference between sharpening like a router bit and a router plane blade, I realize they're two entirely different tools, but, you know, your router bits don't shave hair off your arm. At least mine never did, you know, but your, your plane blades and chisels, it's an RPM thing. You know, it's a, uh, horsepower, mm-hmm. not RPM. Um, you know, the, when the lathe is spinning at you at a high RPM and you can get away with a slightly duller chisel, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, with, with my lathe <laughs> moving at much, <laughs> much, much slower, um, speed, I have to have razor sharp chisels. That's the biggest difference I found between a foot powered lathe and an electric lathe is your chisels. I can't go right off the grinder. I am honing them and taking them up to a higher, same way I would sharpen, you know, a chisel or a plane blade. Right. The biggest difference there, because there's not that high RPM and high torque horsepower behind it. Right. Cool. Who? Uh, this next one comes from Wade um, off of our uh, our Patreon page. So thank you, Wade. Um, 
let's see where to go. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, it says I have a nice selection of Lee Nielsen planes and I want to add a joiner plane. I'm debating between the number seven and the low angle number seven and a half. I have the number 164 and number 62, and I love using them, but I can't decide between the two options and never used either one. I'd love to hear your thoughts on these options. Now, I have a confession to make. I think I've confessed this on the show before. I am terrible when it comes to numbers on these planes. Uh, when we're talking the bench planes, like one through seven. every time give you crap for it. Yeah, well, it's just I, I've never, never paid attention. I know I, I actually had to look it up. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, I was going to say there's nothing <laughs> a quick Google can't fix. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, and I might even get these mixed up now. The 164, I think, is a low angle smoother. Maybe it's a low angle jack. And the 62 is whatever the other one is. Low angle low jack, angle a low jack. angle smoother. Yeah. Yeah. The 62 is a low angle jack. The 164 <laughs> is a low angle smoother. Um, you know, I know them as smoothing planes, jack planes, four planes, joiner planes, etc. Um and I just have never really paid that much attention. Maybe it's because I have a lot of new tools, too, and I have uh, who knows. But the, the, so the question comes down to he wants to add a joiner plane, and he's wondering if he should get a low angle one, essentially. He likes using a low angle jack and a low angle smoother. So in a lot of respects, I say, why fight it and go with what you know? Um, there's a lot of different camps on um, low angle and, and bevel up and bevel down and why use one over the other. I think, frankly, it comes down to what you like using. Um, I will add a little wrinkle to this when you're talking about the joiner plane. I find that, especially when you're jointing on an edge, I find that the low angle profile, kind of the lower center of gravity of the low angle joiner plane, is actually easier to feel and maintain square on an edge. Hmm. Um, it's very much the opposite of like a back saw. I find that the taller the back saw is, the easier it is to get a square cut. With a joiner plane, it it's just the opposite. That lower kind of squatter center of gravity really allows me to keep it square to the edge a lot easier. So it could be that. I mean, it's not going to make a bit of difference if you're joining a face. You're not worrying about the square aspect of it. I also find that it's a little bit more visible. You know, it's a wide open mouth. You can see the the, the shape and the location of the shaving a lot more than you can with uh, the bevel down. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's kind of a wash as to which one's better than the other. So I say if you already like using your bevel up low angle planes, go with that. Go with what you know. It has a bit of a counterpoint to that. And I have much less, many fewer hours behind a plane than you do, Shannon. But I mm -hmm. found for myself, I actually enjoy the heft uh, of something like that. When you're talking about the, in particular, a number seven, a very large bodied plane, I feel like if it's too light, I don't get as good of a result, uh, you know, compared to when it's, you know, a little bit more beefy and actually physically more weight on the work, especially on an edge. I find it to be more stable and a lighter low angle design. I have a tendency to move it and it responds. And again, this, I guess could come with experience that it is, uh, something that's actually a positive. But for me, it's a negative. I like the fact that it's nice and heavy and I could, I could very easily keep it on a relatively narrow edge. So, I mean, just... A, I wonder what the actual weight difference is. I never really noticed a weight difference. You know, I, I mean, they're still... They're both big planes. They're yeah. still kind of... I mean, it has to be, right? The the mm -hmm. bevel down has to be because you've got the big frog and everything in there. There's just more Just stuff. right at that center <laughs> point, you know, where you're focusing your attention is just a little, I mean, it probably doesn't take a whole lot for there to be a noticeable difference. But again, for yeah. me, just not tons of experience with it. I would just gravitate toward the one that's heavier. Though in a smaller I format, I like them lighter. So go figure. 
Yeah. No, but I can definitely back that up. I mean, if you're going to have a big plane, you wanted to have mass just because it's easier to, yeah. you, you needed to get going. You want to do its job while it gets moving. Yeah. So. All right. Well, then uh, I think that just about wraps it up. Now, if you like these email questions, you like us answering these email questions, you may be interested in signing up at Patreon for the $4 level or higher. You'll get access to an extra question every week. And this week, we're going to talk about general finishes in Durovar specifically and some finishing strategies that we might employ when using it. So that'll be a good little topic. And uh, okay, what else is there here? Oh, supporting the show. I just mentioned that. Oh, Patreon. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. Do it. Patreon.com slash Wood Talk if you want to help us out. You can also get a Wood Talk t-shirt at TWWstore.com or head to iTunes, find us in the store and click on ratings and reviews and give us a little rating there. Maybe we'll read it on the show. Maybe not. You just never know. And Shannon. What? You might get lucky. Whoops. Shannon. My bad. Uh, Why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. If you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, just want to tell Matt to talk more about his bandsaw mill, you can do that (laughs) a couple different ways. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. You can call us at 623-242-5180. You can write it out on our fancy contact form at WoodTalkShow.com slash contact, or just go to the show notes at WoodTalkShow.com. Leave your comment there and say, when are you going to fire that puppy up, Matt? I got a log I need you to saw. <laughs> saw my logs. Saw Please my logs. Say it just like that, too. <laughs> Please do. Please. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, uh, that's really it, other than the fact that we each have our own websites. Mm-hmm. Now, don't worry Those about are kind of important. Those are dumb. Yeah. They're out there. Cool. If you don't know what they are, then... Uh, you're probably better off. You'll catch Come it next see time. me on my website, please. <laughs> Just do it finally. <laughs> finally, yeah. <laughs> They'll get there eventually, Matt. Don't worry. Uh, well, I got time. I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere, right? Right. Yeah. You're stuck. All <laughs> right. Right, right, guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Still on probation, as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Quiet. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See ya. See ya. 